Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Here from Mark 6. Good morning. We're reading from Mark 6, 7 through 13. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, Stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Ben, and one of the pastors here, and um, I'll be preaching on that text that we just heard. So, if you got a Bible, go ahead and be opening up to uh, Mark chapter six. Let me let me pray for us while you do that. Our Father, God, you are um, holy. You are magnificent. Um, And we ask that your kingdom would come. We ask that your kingdom would come in our our own hearts, in our families, in our homes first, in our church first, Lord, in order that it may come to those around us, Lord, that you might use us uh, as your ambassadors to this uh, world, to those around us that don't yet know you. Um. Use us, Lord, to advance your gospel, to be light in darkness. Um, Help us to see the grand purpose that you've called us to. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I've been uh, thinking about a question, pondering a question for the last couple of weeks. And that question is, what if we've forgotten the main goal Of being a disciple of Jesus. What if we've been carried by the currents of our culture into a self-centered view of the Christian life that isn't in line with biblical Christianity? Uh, When we were in San Diego on our sabbatical, uh, my my girls got really into boogie boarding, and so um, they would take their boogie boards out and um, and in San Diego, it's very crowded, beaches, people everywhere, all over the place in the water, all over the place on, on the beach. And um, I, 15, 20 minutes after they, they went out to go boogie boarding, I would look up from my book or from my conversation or whatever, and they were gone. <laughs> and, uh, and this happened multiple times, and I would start scanning, and, and I would find them four or 500 yards uh, down the beach, boogie boarding. They had no idea 
that they had drifted. And of course, we've all probably had an experience like that, and it's because of currents, right? And the interesting thing about being in a current is that you can't actually feel that you're drifting while it's happening. Um, You just simply look up, and you're not in the place that you thought you were. And today, uh, we're going to be talking about living on, on mission, and my gut tells me that uh, many of us have been drifting from mission, and we don't even know it. We haven't felt it. And uh, today, and this, this little series on living on mission, it's, it's not a guilt trip uh, series. I'm not trying to make anybody, you know, get out there and try and do more because you feel bad. That's not going to last very long. Um, but my hope is that What's, what's been happening for me, and I think I'm still in the process of, is that you too will see the big picture, the grander thing that you've been called into as a disciple of Jesus, the bigger goal of following Jesus, um, and, and therefore the bigger purpose of your life and my life, and, um, and that that's going to create some changes in, in the way that you live, in, in the way that you think about relationships, in the way that you go about conversations with people in your family, uh, people that you're friends with, people in, in your workplace. And, um, and so that's the heart behind this series. The first thing that I want to do um, this morning is to make a case for this idea of living on mission or um, living like a missionary right where God has you. Um, I want you to see first, before we get into some of the really uh, practical handles that I think we can take from this passage in Mark 6, I want you to see first that this is not uh, an optional thing, that this is, in fact, what you've all been called to um, and, and is at the very heart of what it is to be a Christian. Um, in this passage in Mark 6, and like I said last week, we don't typically pick up right in the middle of a book like this. Um, our, our normal practice is to preach through books of the Bible, um, but we've just pressed pause on our series in Genesis for just a couple of weeks to really hit on this idea of living on mission. So we are doing a, this is a topical uh, series, and so we're, we're jumping right into the middle of the Gospel of Mark. But by the time we get to this point, when Jesus is sending out his 12 disciples, um, they, are, they have had some experiences with Jesus. But make no mistake about it, they're still amateurs, these are not, Jesus is not sending out polished experts when he sends them out on mission. And, and you'll find this is his way. He's, he's quite okay with that. But by this time, uh, the disciples have seen the Lord do many miracles. They've seen him give sight to the blind, make a paralyzed man walk. He's cleansed at least one leper. They've seen him stand up against the religious elite of his day and challenge their false teachings. They've heard him teach with unmatched authority about the kingdom of God everywhere he's gone. They've seen demons cower at his feet and beg for mercy. Um, And even shortly before this, they've seen him raise the dead. And my point is that by this time, by the time the disciples are sent on mission, 
they are more than just excited about what Jesus is teaching. They have gotten to the point where they are very excited about who Jesus is. They've seen his glory on display in, in several ways, and they are very eager to share what they've seen with others. And this is a non-negotiable first step to living on mission. Um, John Piper points out that our delight in God is the fuel for mission. Our delight in God is the fuel for going out there and living like a missionary. The Psalms talk about this a lot. Psalm 67, 3 through 4 says, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. That's God's heart, is that all the peoples would praise him. And then it says, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. The goal of living on mission is that other people would be glad in God and sing for joy. That they would worship him. So John Piper says the goal of missions is worship. Missions exists because worship doesn't. That's the goal, is that people who don't right now worship Jesus would end up worshiping Jesus. But he says it's not just the goal, it's also the fuel. Your worship, your enjoyment of God, your gladness in God is the thing that will fuel you as you go to live on mission. Piper puts it this way, you can't commend what you don't cherish. Missionaries will never call out, let the nations be glad if they cannot say from the heart, I rejoice in the Lord. Delight in God is the fuel of mission because we naturally point others to what we enjoy. Um, During the fall, it's easy for me to talk about football because I enjoy football. I was already doing it this morning and we just got started. It's easy to commend what you enjoy. Therefore, if you want to grow as a missionary, start here. Start here. First, learn to delight in God. If you go out and try to live on mission, but you have no joy in God, you will make a poor missionary. (laughs) Right? People will look at you and say, why do I want what you've got? (laughs) Right? So how do we learn to delight in him? Well, I I think we fix our attention upon the the magnitude of his glory, first of all, in his word, but also in his world. And and we let that, that glory satisfy us. We linger over verses that grab us, and then we obey what we read. We live it out. Secondly, we worship him for who he is, which, you know, living out what you're reading is part of worship, right? But I think when I think about this, I'm thinking about um, singing. I'm thinking about uh, delighting in him, praising him, and saying it with your mouth. Worship him for who he is as the eternal and holy and unchanging and merciful and faithful and all-powerful God. And then spend time in his presence, making your requests known to him and giving thanks to him. And all I'm saying is learn to enjoy relationship with Jesus. That's where you begin to delight in God such that that would fuel you to live like a missionary. So that you would begin to commend what you cherish 
that you'd begin to tell people about what has given you an unshakable joy in this world. But I would argue that we were never meant to enjoy relationship with Jesus apart from joining him in his mission to seek and to save the lost. And this is the fresh thing that the Lord has been showing me in his word recently. We were never meant to enjoy relationship with Jesus apart from joining him in his mission. You're going to see this over and over again in the Gospels. For example, in Mark 1, 16 and 17, it says, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, that's Peter, and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. He says, Come and be a disciple of mine. Come and follow me, and I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. It's interesting that he doesn't say, Follow me, and I'll help you understand the Scriptures. Follow me and I'll make you into better leaders. Follow me and I'll help you get victory over sin in your life. Follow me and I'll teach you how to pray. Because all of those things would happen. He did all of those things, didn't he? With the disciples. But all of those things happened in the context of Jesus teaching them to fish for people. They learned how to pray. They learned how to understand the scriptures. They they learned how to be better leaders. They learned how to be generous. They learned how to trust God, all in the context of learning how to fish for people. From the very start, Jesus calls disciples and tells them that they have a role in furthering his kingdom. Some of you are looking at me like, that's not good news. That's really good news. He has real purpose for you, for every single disciple. And I promise it's not as complicated as we sometimes make it. So, so let, let the walls down a little bit. Whatever fear, whatever, whatever like comes up when we start thinking about living to, to be um, a missionary where we are, to talk to other people, whatever those fears are, just try and let those things fall away for a moment. And hear me say, if you're led by the Holy Spirit, if, if you're asking for his help in these things, this is not as complicated as we tend to make it. Um, another example of this, of, of someone following Jesus and then immediately being sent on mission is, is the Apostle Paul. So in um, Acts 26, 15 through 18, um, this is... Paul recounting his conversion, and, and he says, I asked, he, so, so maybe you don't know the story, he's on his way to arrest some Christians, he's on this road, and Jesus appears to him in a bright and blinding light, and he asks him, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replies, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. So he introduces himself, and the very next sentence is, but get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? He just gets right to the point, doesn't he? Oh, I'm Jesus. Get up. I got a mission for you. Now, did that mean for Paul that he wasn't going to get to enjoy an amazing 
love relationship with Jesus? Not at all. Not at all. But that would grow. That would be developed as he lived on mission. 1 Peter 2.9 gives us another example of this saying, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's intimacy, right? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So whether we realize it or not, when we said yes to following Jesus, we said yes to playing a part in his advancing kingdom. And practically, I think that requires living like a missionary with the mindset and the posture of a missionary right where you are and wherever God calls you. So now that I've hopefully established that, I hope that in that short amount of time, you're seeing that, okay, yeah, this is, uh, this is what I'm called to. Um, and, and, I, and I can't go out there and try to convince somebody else that they, that, that, that they should follow Jesus if I am not first satisfied by my Savior. I hope you see that. You're not going to be a good missionary if you aren't enjoying God and delighting in God yourself. And I hope you see that to be a disciple of Jesus is to join him on mission. So now let's look at some really practical things. Three, um, I had four originally. I narrowed it down to three. I want this to be so, so, so simple that when you walk out of here today, it's very clear in your mind how you can begin to have the posture of a missionary right where you are. Um, This summer uh, was an amazing time with my kids, and um, I've been thinking more like a dad lately because I've gotten to spend so much special time with them. The outline that I created uh, is... Three little phrases that I have said to my kids a hundred times or more uh, through the years, and I hope, hope that it makes it a little sticky. We got a lot of families in here with young kids, so at least for those of you with young kids, this will probably stick for you. My outline is this, three things. Number one, trust your dad. Number two, shake it off. And number three, use your words. Trust your dad, shake it off, and use your words. Um, This summer I spent time teaching Millie how to swim. She really, really wanted to learn how to swim. And and at first it was really hard for her to jump to me from the side of the pool. But as she practiced more and more, I I would say to her, trust me, Millie, trust your daddy. I I will catch you. I'm not going to drop you. Um, And she would jump. And I would catch her, and she learned to trust me. She had less fear the more times she experienced that. Um, And the same will be true for us. So point number one, trust your dad. Look at Mark 6, 8, and 9. Jesus gives the disciples these really strange instructions as he's sending them out on mission. He says, It says, he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. 
So he's sending them out and he's saying to them, essentially, you're going on a road trip. Don't bring your wallet. Don't pack a bag. Don't, don't pack snacks. That'd be really hard for me. I can't go on a road trip without some snacks in the car. I know Eric likes his snacks too. Goldfish. Goldfish. Don't pack, don't pack any food. Leave, leave your phone at home. He's essentially, he's telling them, go, but, but don't bring provision. Don't bring the basic necessities. Go, and you're going to see that, that as you seek first the kingdom of God, that your necessities are going to be taken care of, right? He wants them to learn this by experience. And we need to learn this as well. Um, I see a pattern in Scripture that God goes ahead of us with his provision. That when we find ourselves in a place of need, we aren't waiting on his provision to somehow catch up to us. But he knows what we need before we ask him, right? And we see this pattern, and I'll give you a couple examples, that, that the provision is already there. It just takes people seeing it. So think about on the Mount of the Lord where, where God will provide, right? Where Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac in obedience to the Lord's command. But he gets up there and he's like, the Lord will provide, right? And, and the angel of the Lord stops him. You just learned about this story, right? And, and where does he find a ram? Does, a, does he have to wait for a while and a ram comes finally running up the mountain? No, it's caught in a thicket. He looks up and he sees the provision that beat him there. Um, another example is when uh, Hagar is sent out from Abraham's uh, family. And, and she's, she's out in the wilderness and she is despairing of her life because there's no water. And the angel of the Lord comes and meets her and it says, and, and her eyes were opened and she saw a well. The well didn't just appear. It was already there. It was, God had gone ahead with his provision. Or think about when Jesus feeds the multitudes, the 5,000, the 4,000. And he's trying to teach his disciples. And, um, and he tells the disciples, you, you give them something to eat. And they're like, what? We don't have enough food to feed all these people. But this is, I think, uh, an example of Jesus living with this kind of a paradigm. He says, what do you have? And they say, well, we have a boy's lunch. We have some, some bread, a few loaves of bread, a few fish. And he says, bring it to me. He sees what they already have as the provision that the father has made ahead of time. Or when he needs a donkey to ride into Jerusalem, right? It's going to this town and it's already there. Or the money to pay a tax, throw a, a line in the water and catch a fish and it's, there's going to be a coin... This is the paradigm that Jesus lives by. I promise you, read through the Gospels and look for it. The Father goes ahead with his provision. It's we who have to catch up to, to seeing the provision. Now, that was true for these disciples as they were sent out on mission in regards to their physical provision. But I also would argue that it was true and is true for us 
for the provision, the spiritual provision, the, the people that needed to be prepared for them to have conversations with him. And I, I believe that's exactly what he is teaching them as, as he says, you know, if somebody doesn't receive you, move on. That, that's not the person. We'll get into that in just, in just a minute. God's provision is always one step ahead of us. And so that means that if you're seeking to advance his kingdom, if you're praying for opportunities, if you're looking for them, then you can trust this, that God is going ahead of you with the provision. Whatever you need will be provided to you. It will take eyes of faith to see those opportunities. But if you'll trust your dad, if you'll trust your heavenly father, that he wants to advance his kingdom much more than you do, you'll begin to see the ways that he's gone ahead of you. So that's our first point. Trust your dad. Um, When Emma was little, I learned that if she skinned her knee or bumped her head, my reaction to that would often determine uh, how, how she responded, right? And if I ran up to her and got down and I said, you okay? She would burst out in tears, right? Um, so we caught on to this. And so she would like, wham, hit the ground. And, and immediately, you're like, oh man, is she okay? But just if you could hold it in <laughs> and just calmly walk up and say, Emma? She'd say, uh-huh. You'd say, you're okay. Shake it off. She would go, yeah, okay. And she would shake it off. That's our second point. Shake it off. Uh, Mark 6, 10 through 11. says, And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, Shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Luke's account of this says in Luke 10, 5 through 6, Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. Shalom. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him, but if not, it will return to you. So Jesus is telling his disciples, as you go around, start friendly conversation. See how they respond. If they respond well and they receive you, hang out there. Don't move on. If they reject you, move on. Right? Um, He's saying, look for a son of peace, a person of peace. And I believe that Jesus is giving a strategy for finding people that the Father has gone ahead of them to prepare for the gospel. You guys following my my logic here? I think he is telling them that this is sort of how they're going to find where the Father's been at work. This is the, the concept of a looking for people of peace. And I think this is so critical, and here's why. Oftentimes, if, if, if you begin to think about sharing your faith, your mind probably goes to the most intense conversations 
that you've had in trying to do that. I'm seeing a lot of head nods. And so when you think about being more intentional about sharing about Jesus, fear can rise up. Um, But what I think Jesus is trying to help his disciples to do is to think past some of those people that rejected them and think ahead to those people who God has been preparing for them to have a conversation. Um, Let me give you just a scenario, imaginary scenario. Let's say that you've had a negative conversation with Kevin at work. And um, you tried to share about your faith with Kevin, and Kevin said that um, all Christians were um, ignorant and narrow-minded. And so um, whenever you think about speaking up about your faith at work, you picture Kevin um, and that angry face that he had. But that is because you're not thinking about the strategy that Jesus gave to his disciples, Um, because you've been so focused on Kevin, you haven't even thought about the fact that Sarah, who works in your department, is always incredibly friendly whenever you have conversation with her. You haven't even considered the fact that, that right here, right on the other side of Kevin, is Sarah, who's just waiting for someone to share about Jesus. That maybe for the last years that Sarah has been being prepared by the Holy Spirit to hear the gospel. Um, But the devil works to keep you so focused on Kevin that you haven't considered Sarah. That's why this idea of looking for people of peace is so important. And um, I want to point out another piece of this. Jesus says to them, if they will not receive you, will not listen to you, shake the, dust that is, shake the dust that is on your feet, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So this shaking of the dust, it was a testimony against them, but I've, I've thought about this a good bit, digging into this passage, and I think that there's something in here for the disciples as well. I think that this act of shaking the dust off was also helpful for them to be able to move on from the rejection that they had just received. Because the dust of rejection has a way of clinging to us, doesn't it? I mean, that's why we all think of the hostile conversation and not the good ones. We haven't shaken the dust of the past rejection off. And so it's, it's only contributing to our hesitancy to share our faith with people. So maybe you have been rejected in the past. Maybe somebody became angry with you. Or maybe you had a family member hurt you and say, I don't want to talk about this ever again. Don't ever bring this up again. Or maybe even shun you. Um, Maybe you've had a situation where you pursued someone for months or even years to try and help them to to believe in Jesus. And at the end of all of that effort, they, they walked away. And so the rejection that you experienced has clung to you and you haven't shaken it off and 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 it's kept you from moving on to the people 
that the Lord is preparing. It's kept you from moving on to have those conversations with the people that, that are open and ready to hear the good news. I think Jesus wanted these disciples and he wants us to be able to move on. And when I say move on, I don't mean that you walk away from a relationship with someone in your family. I just mean that you move on from letting the rejection that you experienced stop you from having more conversations and living intentionally on mission. You guys following me? Don't let one person's hardness to the gospel keep you from finding the people of peace that God has prepared. So when you find a person of peace, what do you do? Focus your energy and investment there until they either believe the gospel or they don't. And then move to the next person. Um, So trust your dad that he's gone ahead of you to prepare people. Shake it off when you experience rejection. And um, that brings us to our third and final point. You've probably all seen a toddler communicating the fact that they're unhappy, Um, but they're communicating it through their body language. Maybe they're throwing themselves on the floor or they're screaming or something like that. Um, And no one actually knows what happened to bring them to this place, right? It's in these moments that you'll frequently hear parents say, use your words, use your words. I didn't actually say that a whole lot, but I've heard a lot of parents say it. So that's our third point, use your words. Look at verse 12. It says, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Um, when, the disi- when, when, when the disciples are sent out on mission, we should see that it's, it's, it's really clear here that it wasn't enough for them to just go into new cities and towns and live differently than the people around them. Now, that would have been a part of what they did, right? It's important that they lived differently, that they were a shining light in the darkness, that, that people could see their good works and so glorify the Father in heaven, right? That is a very important part of living like a missionary is that your, your life backs up what you preach, but also they had to say words, didn't they? They had to speak up. They had to proclaim that people should repent. Romans uh, ten fourteen is a famous verse, and some of you have probably heard it. It says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? I think all of us, we have a tendency to um, mimic the culture that we're in, to take on the values of the culture that we're in without even realizing it. And one of our culture's highest values is live and let live, or so they say. Live and let live. Don't um, push your beliefs on anyone else, but I would argue our culture does that quite a lot. Um, And yet, I think the reality is is that... um, Jesus 
loved people too much to live and let live. The reality is that people aren't actually living, right? Apart from Christ, there is no real living. And so to, to buy into the mentality live and let live is actually to say, let people die apart from Jesus, lost in their sin without the thing that can rescue them from an eternity apart from him. Jesus showed us that it's, it is the most loving and the most kind way to live when we are willing to say the truth about the kingdom of God, the truth about who Jesus is, when we're willing to speak up at the risk of offending someone. I don't know if you've paid attention to this as you've read through the Gospels, but Jesus didn't seem to be too concerned about whether or not what he said was going to offend people. I don't think he went out and said, I'm going out today with a goal of offending everyone. But I think he went out and he said, what I'm going to say is true. And some people will be offended by it. Um, And I'm going to say it because it's necessary for people to hear it. And I think we need to start living more that way. But I want to show that... um, there is a way of doing this where you're not just um, blindsiding somebody, right? There's a way of doing this led by the Holy Spirit uh, that is in the context of conversation. And I, I want to show you that I think a strategic way to get to the message of Jesus and the, the, the testimony of what he's done in your life is through the practice of deeper conversations, now, I, I think about Jesus' example for us in John chapter 4. And um, some of you are familiar with the story of Jesus speaking with the Samaritan woman at the well. And that is a, such a cool passage. If you haven't read it, read it or studied it, look at it uh, this evening. John chapter 4. Jesus sits down and he begins this conversation with this woman that he doesn't know. And uh, there's a lot of cultural things happening there. But He starts out, the conversation is just about the water in the well. And before you know it, this woman believes that Jesus is the Messiah. (laughs) Now, how, how did that happen? Well, I think that one way of looking at it is to say that Jesus, led by the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, took a regular everyday conversation and he, and he went below the surface where most people stay right on the surface, they would have just talked about the water in the well. How's the water today? Cold. You know, how's it taste? Same as yesterday. Um, And Jesus goes from a conversation about everyday things, and he digs a little bit. He He starts to get into some of the things happening in her life, some of the things that are personal to her. But he's He's also going to open himself up in that conversation, and he's going to blatantly tell her that he is the Messiah. This isn't something he does very often. He practices vulnerability in the same conversation. And these are the two two things that I want to encourage us to start trying to do in order to practice deeper conversations. Number one is open up about what's going on in your life. Practice vulnerability 
because vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And as you begin to open up about more of the personal things that are happening in your life, it's amazing you'll find that people are more likely to open up about the personal things happening in their lives. And then secondly, as you are practicing vulnerability and opening up, make a practice of asking good questions. It's really, really simple tactic to go from surface-level conversation to deeper conversation. Here's why I think this works, um, why I think this is a good strategy. Part, part of why I think this is a good strategy is that there is a loneliness epidemic in our culture. A 2017 article in Harvard Business Review states this, loneliness is a growing health epidemic. We live in the most technologically connected age in the history of civilization, yet rates of loneliness have doubled since the 1980s. Today, over 40% of adults in America report feeling lonely, and the research suggests that the real number may well be higher. Additionally, the number of people who report having a close confidant in their lives has been declining over the past few decades. And that was five years ago. And I would argue it's accelerating, this loneliness epidemic. So how do we view this through the lens of a missionary? I think we see it as an opportunity for the gospel. The people that you are surrounded by every week might have loads of friends, but they aren't actually known by any of them. They might be connected with thousands of people digitally, and yet they can't remember the last time they actually felt seen. So, in the beginning, if you're not used to this, it might feel a bit nosy, but we need to learn not to think this way. In order to love people well, we've got to know them below the surface. And I would argue that most people, 99.9% of the people that you're interacting with, will not be the ones to take the initiative to go there. And so we must. And that means asking questions that dig into people's lives a bit. And I think what we will find is that most everyone that we interact with actually wants someone to be nosy with them. I think that our fear is that people will be offended and think that we are prying, but that the reality is that we're surrounded by people who are longing for a friend that will care about the private stuff in their lives. And if we've opened up first, if we've allowed ourselves to be vulnerable first, then I think that others will be far more open to being vulnerable too. Um, if this is really hard for you, then let me just encourage you, begin to practice this with other believers. Make a practice of this all the time. This is good for your relationships with Christians. <laughs> really good. So th this is something that you can start to practice in all of your conversations. Ask yourself, am I skimming across the surface here or are we actually getting into things a little bit deeper, things that matter? Let me give you a couple examples of what it might look like. Many times we begin conversations by asking, how are you doing? And most of the time people say, good. Um, but what if you had a hunch that that wasn't really the case for someone 
and you actually followed that up with, are you really good or is that just something that you're saying? You'd be surprised how people will answer that at times. Or let's say um, someone takes a weekend trip with their spouse and, um, and they, they told you about it. You heard about, or you asked them what they did and they tell you they went on this trip. So people will typically ask, did you have fun? Was it fun? Yeah, it's fun. But don't stop there. Keep going. Ask them questions like, how often do you get to take trips like that? What were your hopes for this trip? And did your, were, were those hopes met? Did you and your spouse have some good conversations? How's your spouse doing? Did you guys get to open up to each other? Is that something that you do in your marriage? You'd be amazed at what happens when we start to ask prying questions. Think of yourself as a counselor or a pastor. And what you're going to find is that most people want one. And they don't know where to find one. And before you know it, you've just gone below the surface. And, and here's what will happen if, if we will make a practice of this. As people go consistently deeper in conversation with us, they, your values, your convictions, and your testimony will easily come up into the conversation, right? Because you're not skimming across the surface. You've gone deep. And as soon as that person goes through something hard, you will be the first person they think of to come to and to talk with you. So the point is, we must use our words in order to spread the gospel. The kingdom of God advances on a message about Jesus Christ. And if people do not hear that message, the kingdom does not advance. And so we must start with conversation and intentionally work to go deeper. So right now, I wonder if you can think of one or two people in your life that maybe the Lord is highlighting for you as, as I'm preaching, that you could just begin to pray for, um, ask God to prepare those conversations, repair their heart, and then to go and make uh, the practice of intentionally deep, digging deeper. All right, let me, let me wrap this up. Um, for some of us, maybe many of us, we have drifted from living on mission. And the Lord has been convicting me of this, that I, I haven't been praying intentionally for people the way that I once did. I, I haven't been um, intentionally pursuing people the way that I once did. Maybe that's where you're at. And in order to live on mission, it's going to take some real change in our habits of thinking. And the Bible calls that repentance. When we change the way we think, it's repentance. Maybe you've forgotten that the church doesn't only exist for itself, that it also exists for those outside it that don't yet know Jesus. There are seven communities within a seven-mile radius of here, and in those seven communities, there are about 120,000 people. And out of that 120,000 people, um, somewhere around 97, 98% of those 120,000 people do not attend a Bible-believing church. So that means that you and I live in an amazing mission field. 
That means we have an incredible opportunity in front of us. Um, I think there are tens of thousands of people around us that um, the Lord is ready and willing to move in their lives to bring them into a relationship with Him, and that you are perfectly positioned to reach some of those people. So remember that God has called you, that Christ has called you to follow him, and that that call includes living like a missionary, helping to expand his kingdom, and trust your dad as you do it, shake off rejection as you go, and use your words as you intentionally seek um, to spread his gospel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, I pray that this, um, this message would be um, helpful for us, a good reminder of some things. And Lord, that if we find ourselves having drifted from mission, that we would repent of that. That your kingdom is at hand, it is near, and, and it isn't far for us to join back in with the work that you're doing in the world. Lord, thank you that you give us second chances and third chances and a hundred extra chances, God, that every single day your mercies are new and that we can turn back and we can say, Lord, I'm I'm back. Help me to live the way that you want me to live. Lord, open our eyes to see the people around us that you have prepared and help us to boldly speak up. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.